It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 137, King Asa and Finishing Well. After Jeroboam's crushing defeat, somehow he hangs on to power for what appears to be about five more years. The three years of Abijah's kingship and the first two years of King Asa of Judah's kingship. At some point, it seems like he's fleeing city after city until Abijah goes back to Jerusalem after smashing his whole army. And this time, I failed to mention it, there's a resurgence of what you didn't see coming, the Philistines. I get the take they used the instability after Solomon to, to throw off Israel's yoke. And I'd like to suggest Pharaoh Shishak insisted upon an independent Philistia to limit Israel's power. Soon we'll see Israel's attempt to reclaim some of this territory from Philistia, but effectively at the moment, the removal of Philistia is the removal of seafaring ports of call for Israel and Judah, and typically this is a reduction in wealth and world influence. Peter the Great, if you want to call him that, seemed obsessed with getting warm weather ports for his mother Russia, because he wanted the wealth and world influence navies and international commerce brings. So I say all that because if you can find a map of this time period, Judah looks so small, especially without the coastal plain and Mediterranean access. Also, it appears the southern port on the Red Sea that Solomon built has been lost to foreign nations as well. So what Judah still has is the hill country and wilderness of Judah and Benjamin with its cities and countryside and the natural and wonderful spiritual capital of Jerusalem. Not at all lacking, but far from the commercial center of the world days of Solomon. Into this land, and with the mind of wisdom, Abijah's son Asa is born. Asa takes over the kingship of Judah, while Egypt technically still lorded over Judah, and was allied with broken Jeroboam's kingdom. Sticking with David Downs' revised Egyptian chronology, Amenhotep II was now pharaoh. After a pause to regroup in what appeared to be a slow retreat off the world stage which allowed freedom for ambition, and the result was the previous battle of Mount Zemaraim, it appears Amenhotep II assembles a host of armies from different nations for another military campaign. From the looks of it, he's planning on using his numbers to exceed his father, or just beat everyone into submission so he can go back to Egypt and do his own thing, as tribute flows back for his building projects. But first, he must travel through Israel before he takes on the Mitanni in the north. His plan appears to be to smash Judah because they just crushed his ally Jeroboam Israel. I would like to throw this in because this is what could have happened. As a conquered nation, Judah was required to pay tribute to Egypt as their overlord nation. Rehoboam did this liberally out of survival. Abijah did it grievingly, but Asa most likely stopped making the tribute payments and aggravated the Egyptians into a military campaign, which will effectively lead to the end of the brief golden age for Egypt. Let's cover King Asa first and his actions as king, 
and the ten years of peace before conflict breaks out with Egypt. Asa begins his kingship in spectacular fashion and really comes off like a leader like King David. He aggressively and with zeal does the will of God. Second Chronicles 14 And Abijah rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. Asa his son succeeded him as king, and in his days the country was at peace for ten years. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah, and the kingdom was at peace under him. He built up the fortified cities of Judah, since the land was at peace. No one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. Let us build up these towns, he said to Judah, and put walls around them with towers, gates, and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Asa had an army of 300,000 men from Judah, equipped with large shields and with spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, armed with small shields and with bows. All these were brave fighting men. I mean, awesome start, Asa. He smashed down the idols, removed the sacred stones and Asherah poles. He even commanded the people to worship God. He fortified the cities and built up the army. His action led to a time of prosperity and peace for ten years, which was really incredible considering the last many years. With the near destruction of the army of Israel and Jeroboam's loss of prestige, we've got to consider many, I mean many, moved from the north to Judah to live. Jerusalem must have been swelling with the population boom, and the taking of extra northern territory led to an increased trade network, and taxes must have filled the coffers of Asa. In the meantime, disorder continues in the north. After two years as king during the time of Asa, Jeroboam finally dies. I mean, this guy lived a long time, and it's like God was going to give him every opportunity after opportunity, but it doesn't appear he comes around and finally repents and turns to God. But you never know. Jeroboam's son comes to the throne in the north. His name is Nadab, and he's pretty much toast. God has decreed via judgment prophecy the line of Jeroboam would come to an end in a horrible fashion. Nadab decides to solidify his rule. You know how Jeroboam was always fearful he would lose the kingdom, so he attacks someone nearby, someone he thought was weaker, just to gain a, a bit of prestige. Here is Nadab. He decides to attack the Philistines to most likely gain credibility. In the middle of the siege, within two years of inheriting the kingdom from his father, he is assassinated. 1 Kings 15.25 Nadab, son of Jeroboam, became king of Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the ways of his father, and committing the same sin his father had caused Israel to commit. Basha, son of Ahijah, from the tribe of Issachar, plotted against him, and he struck him down at Gibeathon, a Philistine town, while Nadab and all Israel were besieging it. Basha killed Nadab in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and succeeded him as king. As soon as he began to reign, he killed Jeroboam's whole family. He did not leave Jeroboam anyone that breathed, but destroyed them all, according to the word of the Lord given through his servant Ahijah the Shilonite. This happened because of the sins Jeroboam had committed and had caused Israel to commit, and because he aroused the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel. 
In the third year of Asa, king of Judah, Basha, son of Ahijah, became king of all Israel and Terzah, and he reigned twenty-four years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the ways of Jeroboam, and committing the same sin Jeroboam had caused Israel to commit. So Basha assassinates Jeroboam's son and kills his entire family in very Ottoman Turk fashion, fulfilling the judgment word of Ahijah. So Asa is king in the south and Basha in the north. Basha will rule for about 24 years and be like Jeroboam and the others. But Asa, on the other hand, is going to do something incredible. All right, we've set the scene. Asa is king and he is a true reformer in Judah. There is disorder in the north, but the kingdom is getting a bit organized under its new king, Basha. The Mitanni and other nations to the north are organizing. Aram is coming into its own at this point, possibly due to a fading away of Egyptian influence. A nation was forming in modern Syria with the name of Aram. Aram will become Israel's primary enemy until the time of the Assyrians. Aram is modern Syria and will be roughly the size and power of northern Israel. They'll pretty much grind each other with intermittent warfare for hundreds of years. Strategically, they will weaken each other and invite the Assyrians, but militarily, we're going to get some great battles to discuss, and spiritually, when the prophets get involved, it's going to get really interesting. To the south, Egypt is seeing a rearming Asa and a weakening ally in northern Israel in conflicts with the Philistines, and it appears Amenhotep II arms himself to the teeth and marches to Israel and appears to want to go all the way to the gates of the Matani. But he has to meet Asa first. What happens is quite incredible. I wish we had battle tactics or some awesome strategy to discuss, but instead we see huge numbers again and an awesome speech by Asa himself. Second Chronicles 14 Zerah the Cushite marched against them with an army of thousands upon thousands and three hundred chariots and came as far as Marasha. Asa went out to meet him, and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zephathah, near Marashah. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you in your name. We have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. The Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. The Cushites fled, and Asa, his army, pursued them as far as Gerar. Such a great number of Cushites fell. They could not recover. They were crushed before the Lord and his forces. The men of Judah carried off a large amount of plunder. They destroyed all the villages around Gerar, for the terror of the Lord had fallen on them. They looted all these villages, since there was much plunder there. They also attacked the camps of the herders and drove off droves of sheep and goats and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. So the speech was awesome. But first, let's slide in biblical history into the history of Amenhotep II. Taking Wikipedia for this one, I know, that's what I did. Here is what it states about Amenhotep. First, let me preface, Egyptian rulers never posted bad news about themselves. Amenhotep's father was a military man, and he wrote of his conquest. Amenhotep II was a peace lover, if you want to believe that, and that's probably where I was leading more last episode. 
But I think he he appears that he wanted to be a warrior like his father. But what if it just appeared like he's a peace lover because he was a military loser? I'm going to shift my opinion to military loser because Asa smashes his army and basically ends his bid for empire. And that's why there's not much history of his further military campaigns. Check out this wiki entry on this guy. Amenhotep's last campaign took place in his ninth year. However, it apparently did not proceed further north than the Sea of Galilee. Basically, this declares somewhere in Israel, Amenhotep's army got smashed. And if we fit this into biblical history, it's Asa who ends Amenhotep's bid for empire, and with it, the power of the Egyptian empire was sent back to the Nile. Apparently, the end of his invasion occurred in Israel at the hands of King Asa. Isn't that cool when we can fit in biblical history with the history record? Yeah, this gets me excited. If this is the case, the campaign that ended in Israel could have been this one. He took his father's army of nations and got crushed by Asa, ending this golden age for Egypt. Asa comes off with extreme wealth and prestige. After the battle, a prophet comes to Asa, 2 Chronicles 15. The Spirit of God came to Azariah, son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach, and without the law. But in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. In those days it was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the land were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another, and one city by another, because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. Azariah's encouraging prophetic word was just that. Seek God, and you will have his presence and favor. Seek evil, and you will get evil. Second Chronicles 15.8 Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Azariah, son of Oded the prophet. He took courage. He removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin, and from the towns he had captured in the hills of Ephraim. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. Then he assembled all Judah and Benjamin and the people from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who had settled among them, for numbers had come over to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. They assembled at Jerusalem in the third month of the fifteenth year of Asa's reign. At that time they sacrificed the Lord seven hundred head of cattle and seven thousand sheep and goats from the plunder they had brought back. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their heart and soul. All who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, were to be put to death. Whether small or great, man or woman, they took an oath to the Lord with loud acclamation, with shouting and with trumpets and horns. All Judah rejoiced with the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God eagerly, and he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. Now, Asa is a hardcore believer. I mean, check out what he does next. It's interesting to me how he throws down evil armies, but he has to gain a bit of power first before he takes on the evil witch grandmother. 
He seems more afraid of her than a whole Egyptian army, but eventually he gets the courage to take on the evil witch. Second Chronicles 15.16 King Asa also deposed his grandmother, Mecha, from her position as queen mother because she had made a repulsive image for the worship of Asherah. So it would go on to say that there will be no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. All right, so Asa's reign is just incredible. His reign was prosperous, marked by a smashing of the Egyptian army, and a great reform and revival back to God. But his last five years leave some scholars extremely puzzled. I'm struggling with finding a reason for his heart change. Let's analyze it, but we don't have much to work with, honestly. It occurs in the 36th year of his kingship, and he's going to be king for about five more years at this point. Basha, king of Israel, went up and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah, by a main road artery. Basically, he's created a castle of sorts to prevent trade and travelers from coming directly into Judah. There must have been a seriously alarming issue because of what Asa does. His actions were quite the opposite of his actions when he attacked the Egyptian army. Instead, he buys an ally and starts a trend of sending gold to Aram to attack Israel. And this is going to plague Judah for centuries. It's almost going to become a generational sin, for when Judah is attacked by its northern neighbor, it's much easier to buy an ally in Aram to attack Israel than to build up your own army and attack them yourself. Second Chronicles 16.2 Asa then took the silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and his own palace and sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there was between my father and your father. See, I'm sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. Ben-Hadad agreed with King Asa and sent the commanders of his forces against the towns of Israel. They conquered Aijan, Dan, Abel, Naim, all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Basha heard this, he stopped building Ramah and abandoned his work. Then King Asa brought all the men of Judah, and they carried away from Ramah the stones and timber Basha had used. With them, he built up Geba and Mitzpah. All right, so what just happened honestly doesn't make sense to me. I just don't understand the heart change. Asa, who just rocked by destroying the most powerful empire in the world's army, feels like he has to play some risk game and gang up on northern Israel when he feels threatened. His move was strategically brilliant, but spiritually stupid, trading the favor of God for the favor of a foreign king. He takes the gold and silver out of God's temple this would have been the treasures dedicated to God and set aside to God and his treasure and sent it with his officials to the king of Aram to attack his northern neighbors. First of all, these are his brothers, and he just paid someone to kill him. Wrong move, Asa. Bad move. It's easy to explain the consequences of his sin, for he was messing with God by taking his gold from God's temple and turning it into blood money for mercenaries against his own people. This was a sin directly against the Lord. And you know what comes next? A prophet. But let's rewind and do the best we can to discern Asa's heart. His actions 
were based upon fear. He feared for his kingdom with the taking of the road junction into his country. He feared for his security or he wouldn't have acted the way he did. He feared Basha of Israel, which didn't make any sense after his actions against Egypt. But fear never really does make sense. Why did David run from Saul to Ziglag? There was only one reason that makes any sense. And the reason that makes no sense is fear. Asa didn't trust in the Lord like he was supposed to. He must have been carried up in his own pride, and his own strength, and his own flesh. And when a threat came after so many years, he reacted with fear and little faith. This fear must have had some bitterness and anger and resentment in there as well. For we'll see his next actions. All right, in walks the prophet, Second Chronicles sixteen seven. At that time, Hananiah the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him. Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. Did you get that? The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Ah, oh, what a verse. If God's eyes were upon you, would he find you fully committed to him? I leave that question for you. Second Chronicles 16.10 Asa was angry with the seer because of this. He was so enraged that he put him in prison. At the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of his people. So if we combine the previous statement, how Asa got all the people to go to Mizpah to help him tear down the fortification and build new battlements, we get the feel he brought the people up to do this, and in the meantime, something awful happens to his temperament. Almost like a saw, he gets incredibly angry after the prophetic rebuke, imprisons the prophet, Obviously, he didn't fit the mold of a wise man receiving a rebuke. Instead, he turns wicked. He imprisons the prophet who rebukes him and brutally oppresses the people to help him build up the walls and new fortifications. Force labor to build up his fortifications. Spurgeon has an awesome quote on this scene. Here it is, and his conclusion is obvious. He traded the arm of the spirit for the arm of the flesh. I will say nothing about what belonged to his house. He might do as he liked with that, as long as he did not spend it upon sin. But he took the treasure that belonged to the house of the Lord and gave it to Benedict to bribe him to break his league with Basha and to be in league with himself. Thus God was robbed that the unbelieving king might find help in an arm of the flesh. In Asha's last three years, he has a disease in his feet, which many call gout, but it was probably something else, and it states he didn't turn to the Lord for his healing. I mean, something awful happened to Asa that turned him against God, and unfortunately the Bible doesn't give us the reason, but instead we get an example of a man who started very, very well, but didn't finish well. Second Chronicles 16.12 In the thirty-ninth year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with the disease in his feet, Though his disease was severe, 
Even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Then in the forty-first year of his reign, Asa died and rested with his ancestors. Fortunately, Asa will have a son whose name is Jehoshaphat, who was raised during the good years of King Asa, and we will get to see the good in Asa continue in his son for decades to come. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, we're not going to cover Asa's famous speech, although it would be pretty cool, or that radical statement that the Lord is searching all the earth to find whose hearts are fully devoted to him. But we have to discuss the concept of finishing well again. I told this story before, but we were at a house of a man of God in his 80s, and after our meal, we asked if we could pray for him. And we asked if there was something in particular we could pray for, and he asked us to pray for him to finish well. Instantly, my wife and I were overcome by the faith of this man who wanted to finish well. This gentleman did finish well. He was sharing the gospel until his death a few years later. We were moved by his story because it's easy to compare this gentleman to other Americans who find retirement a time to sit back and retire into one's own house and do nothing with the rest of their life but rest and entertain themselves. While Asa in his later years grew disenchanted and bitter with age, he failed to trust in God like before and he became cranky and bitter. When a prophet showed up to rebuke him, instead of receiving it as wisdom, he abused him. When God was wanting to correct him, he projected his internal anger against others. When God wanted a softening, he hardened his own heart. This week, it's been a pleasure messaging with listener Greg of Mesquite, Texas. Greg sent some feedback a while back on the Facebook page, and he has such a passion for the Bible and history, I couldn't help but ask him his take on King Asa. After some research and listening to sermons and commentaries, he provided his feedback, which I think makes complete sense. So I'm going to quote Greg from Mesquite, Texas. If there was something I would emphasize, it would be that he got complacent and began to believe that he could do it himself. I can walk on my own two feet is an expression I've heard people say. This got me studying to understand a little more, so I thank you for that. I found good teachings. In some teachings, I heard America being compared to Asa. Asa began to believe his actions were the cause of his peace and prosperity, so he took the glory for himself and tried to forget God. The test of this was the fortress built by Basha, and he did the smart thing. But as you say, it wasn't the right thing. He abused the people. He should have trusted. He became no better than anyone in the world. He got older quickly. His feet got worse, and he could no longer walk on his own two feet. Special thanks to Greg of Mesquite, Texas, for his help with this episode. It's always a pleasure working with those who have a passion for the Bible and history. In a strange way, the moves by the king of the north actually presented an opportunity for Asa to have defeated both a southern and northern kingdom. The incursion by Basha could have been his last, and who knows, could Asa have received the entirety of the kingdom as his reward for faithfulness? But instead he stole from God and built up an enemy, and took away from his countrymen which led to his foot condition and his eventual bitter end and death. Here's the deal. The last five years of Asa's life could have been his best. 
See, when adversity comes knocking, we have to remember this is an invitation for God to move and bring victory. Who knows Asa, whose name actually means healer. Isn't that interesting? The king with the medical condition, his name actually meant healer. He could have exercised the same faithfulness that he did at the beginning of his reign in a battle against Basha, and the result could have been the healing of a nation and its restoration as one people. But instead, he met a bitter fate suffering from a spiritually curable medical condition because he failed to walk in his God-given gift of healing and restoration. The message to all of us is to finish well and to fulfill your calling and purpose at both the beginning when God calls you and to the very end of your life, for who knows, the twilight years may be the most fruitful and abundant of all. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.